Say it is hard to be back uh, in part just because it is hard to be cold. It is cold. I'm cold all the time. I usually don't get too cold. But I feel like I'm cold all the time. I know this is rubbing it in, but it was warm down there. It was nice. Uh, I just want to make a comment. There, there's some pictures beforehand, and I just want you to know that when I was floating in the Caribbean, I did have shorts on, though. Okay? <laughs> there's any questions? I there's pictures. I'd put together some pictures to throw up there, and I was like, I, you can't see any shorts. A little awkward. But uh, anyways, it's good to be here tonight. We are continuing on with our uh, with our series through the Gospel of John. We're calling it Overflowing. And in part, here's the deal. When you look at the Gospel of John and how Jesus comes, steps into situations, talks with people, walks into these interesting dynamics, what you get is a picture uh, that is of someone who is busting expectations. Someone who is always sort of opening up the horizons of those that he meets. He's telling them something that goes beyond the narrow view that they might have. Whether that, whatever that is of God. And it began with this overflowing wine, which is, in some ways, we think it's a strange way to begin a ministry that Jesus, Jesus makes just a ton of really good wine. And yet it is enigmatic of what he is about when he steps into our lives as well. That he wants us to know a God who wants to pour out his blessing upon us and wants to call us into a ministry of overflowing. And so we're beginning to look at what that means as he talks with this character Nicodemus and he begins to open up. I want to tell you about God's love and what God wants to do in this world that goes beyond what you think. He speaks right into Nicodemus' language. He talks to the woman at the well uh, last week and we, we looked at that. And what we're going to do is continue on with that story uh, tonight. One of the things I just want to let you know about is what's coming up next week. What we're going to do is Jesus touched in, we'll, we'll do a quick recap in a minute, but Jesus touched on some kind of basic desires and he's going to do that tonight. He's going to speak into some of the most basic desires that we all have. And, and we're going to talk about those more implicitly than not and how Jesus speaks into that. But we want to take, we want to pause because there's lots of questions I know when it comes to desire. What does church have to do with desire? You know, is desire something that we have to kind of check at the door when we come into a, a church? Because God, we're not really sure what to do about it. So what we want to do is, is talk about how do we think theologically about desire? What is desire and what does God have to do with it? Is it okay? Uh, are there good desires, bad desires? How, how do we discern all that? And what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a roundtable next week, essentially, with Dave Lutz, uh, Janie Stewart, who works in university ministries here and I, and we're going to have some time of open questions uh, on what, uh, what are the, any questions that might come up for you around this issue of desire and what do we do uh, with it, especially with faith. So I'll just let you know about that. We'll be uh, that'll be coming up this next week. Well, if we've been reading the headlines, and I know all of you have, some of you unfortunately have been experiencing the headlines. We know that today, 55,000 some odd jobs lost. We have some major companies. That are going uh, going through some pretty difficult times. Caterpillar, some of these companies that you think usually they just can plow through just about anything. Pardon the pun. <laughs> Starbucks, Microsoft, um, o- over and over again, we just hear Boeing they're laying off thousands of jobs. And I know there might be some of you in here who have experienced that. We are seeing this time in which there is this sense in which there's just loss of job all over the place. 
One of the things that it was an interesting conversation in Haiti. There is uh, total abject poverty, as you can imagine, uh, poorer than we would ever that we have ever experienced here. I talked to one of the guys named Ruben, and uh, he had been working with Bruce for quite a long time. He we, we kind of worked through kind of some broken English and started communicating a little bit. And I I asked him. I said, you know, Haiti is obviously a poor country. Uh, it is a beautiful country, though. Uh, what is it that you, what is it that Haiti needs? What is it? There's lots of stuff they need, of course, but what is what is the one main thing that Haiti needs? And he would say, yes, it is a beautiful place. But Haiti needs jobs. Haiti needs jobs more than anything. So right now, the loss of jobs, these 55,000 jobs that we just have been added into, many more that have been lost. There is not only a loss of income and there are bills to be paid and mortgages to be paid, there are basics in Haiti to be provided for, basic food that needs to be provided for. But there's something bigger, though, isn't there, that Reuben is talking about. There's, there is the need for a job because we are created to work. And when we lose a job, there is something that, there is something else that goes on. It's not just that we just don't have the money to buy the stuff that we want to buy or to pay the bills that we need to pay. But there is something about a job that, that touches down into the very core of who we are because we are created to work. We are created to, to be a part of the ongoing creation of God's, of God's world, to join Him as co-creators. That we could, we've had, and we have, and we could spend more time looking at a, a theology. How do we think about work? Well, before the fall, before all things went wrong, we read that Adam was given work. We're created to work. It's part of who we are. It brings dignity. One of the things that Megan just talked about was a sense of so much of what the Robinsons down in Haiti are about is not just throwing food at people. There are moments in which we just need to give people food and charity. Moments here when we need to do that. It's totally appropriate. And yet, if Bruce can possibly help it, what he wants to do is he wants to pay somebody for work that they do because the comment that he said to us over and over again is, Every time you're just giving somebody something without any kind of relationship, you're buying their dignity. And what he has experienced over 20 some odd years is that they will begin to hate themselves the more that they take that or they'll begin to hate you. There's something about work. There's something about dignity that work provides. There's a greater purpose that we are called into. Well, when we think about a place like Haiti, we think about the situation that we're in now when there are so many jobs that are lost if there's an opportunity, the opportunity is for us to think together as people about what is it that we are working towards and who are we working for. See, tonight we're going to look at a story that is very similar to what we talked about last week. It's a continuation of the woman at the well. And yet it is one that speaks into this very basic need for purpose, and especially purpose within the context of work. And it meets us where we're at, but also takes us beyond any one job. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn open to John chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 27. And this is right after Jesus uh, has this conversation with the woman at the well and, and talks about living water. And he speaks, he speaks essentially into this longing for her to belong. That she, that she wants to belong. I mean, she's going out there to get water, yes, but she's going out in the middle of the day because, because for some reason she can't be around other people. And, and she's gone through five different marriages, whether they have, those husbands have died off or whether she 
they were divorced and she was left. The point is that she, there's a sense where she's longing to belong to somebody and yet it just doesn't work. And the more that she tries, the more it's like she's drinking salt water when she's thirsty. So she's out here and she needs water and yet Jesus says, I want to talk into, I want to speak to a deeper thirst that is going to begin to, to change even the way that you get water from this well. They go on, and the woman says, okay, I'm not quite sure about all this, but, and she asks them some questions about worship, and she says, look, I don't know exactly what is going on, but, but I know the Messiah, the coming one, is, when he gets here, he will explain everything, and Jesus says, I am he. And then right at this moment, in other words, Jesus says, I am the one that you've been looking for. Then we pick up in verse 27. Then the disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? And why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see who told, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their, their way towards him. Now, certainly, Jesus didn't tell her absolutely everything that she possibly did, right? That would be ridiculous and mundane. But there's a sense where the woman goes and she says, you've got to meet this guy who basically told me some of the most important stuff in my life, the stuff that cuts down to the the core of who I am. You've got to meet this guy. She takes off after seeing the disciples and probably after seeing the look on the disciples' face, right? I mean, it's, if you kind of read in between the lines, and Scripture asks us to do that. It, asks, it, it, it challenges us to ask questions. The disciples return, and they say, they were surprised to see him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? But they sure wanted to. They sure wanted to. Now remember, quickly, what, what is going on here? First of all, they're in Samaria, and Jesus is talking to a Samaritans, and the Jews cannot stand the Samaritans. They cannot stand the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a group of people who, who essentially they were a mixed race that came out of uh, when the Jews had and Israel had been dominated by foreign powers, by Babylonians, by Assyrians. They came in, the Babylonians and Assyrians came in. They took all the educated people. They took them back with them. They left everybody who was uneducated, who was poor. Then they brought in some of their own people from Babylon and Assyria. What happens is you begin to have kind of, you have intermarriage. Now, they kept some of the, the worship of this Yahweh, of this Israelite God, and yet it, it was confused. There was a sense in which they would at times, though they would say, well, we're worshiping the God of Israel, they would, and they've been known to, as scholars would reflect back on it, they've been known to sort of say, well, if it gets really tough, if it gets, if it gets challenging, if foreign power comes in, we can switch it up. There was a sense of confusion, and the Jews of the Samaritans, over the years, they built up this animosity. Like, what are you, you can't stand these people. In fact, they would, at all possibilities, stay away from Samaritans. But not only that, Jesus is talking to a woman. Jesus is talking to a woman. And in that day, unfortunately, to talk to a woman was considered basically a waste of time. The rabbis that reflected this said, basically, don't, don't waste your time talking to a, even your wife. Don't waste your time talking to a woman. And so the, the, the disciples come back and go, Jesus, what, what in the world are you doing? And then we can, we continue on and we read this. Meanwhile, his disciples urged the rabbi to eat something, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four more months and then, and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now, imagine this scene, right? Jesus is going through Samaria. First of all, the disciples are like, this is a waste of time. Jesus stops. They run in to get some food. And essentially, you can kind of read between the lines and figure out, they're just thinking, let's get food, fuel up, and we'll get the heck out of here because this place, these people are a waste of time. And then they come back and they see Jesus talking to a woman. Women are a waste of time. Jesus, what are you doing? Let's just get out of here. Let's get some food and get out of here. And what happens is Jesus begins to engage them around this conversation of food and what fuels us. What is it that fuels us? And there's this back and forth. He begins with, just like he did with the woman at the well, when water was such an important thing for her. Whoops. That's what happens when you're ADD like I am and you walk all over the place. Um, He begins to engage them with the very thing that they think is so important, which is food. And he pushes them on and he says, listen, you think that the most important thing, that the the thing that is purposeful, the thing that is going to be meaningful is to get the heck out of here. But I want you to wake up to the work that is right in front of you. I want you to wake up to the work that is right in front of you. And so you have this, this dialogue around food and work and bread. And the work that Jesus wants to wake the disciples up to is the same thing that he wants to wake us up to. It is work, it is this grand venture that he is calling us to join in with him right now, today. It is a venture that meets us where we are at. It is a venture that takes us beyond simply a job. And what he wants to do is he wants to wake us up to work that he has that is right now, first of all, two things that come out of this. He wants to wake us up to what is going on in this time, in this place. See, the disciples had not yet gotten what he had talked with Nicodemus about, and surely he would have shared this with his disciples. When he talks to Nicodemus about this, kind of fam- some of the most famous, of whether you, you read scripture or not, whether you, it, Christianity is just something you're exploring, now, you probably have heard the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is this great statement of God's expansive love. They haven't gotten that yet. They think we gotta get, we have to get out of here. And what he wants to say is wake up to what is going on right in front of you. Here, Jesus, eat this food and let's get out of here. And then he says, I don't, I don't need that. I got food that you don't know nothing about. What? He must have, somebody, did somebody feed him? Come on. If he's feed him, then we can get out of here. And what he goes on to say is that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the heart and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. So he's sitting out there and he says, okay, some scholars think he's probably, you know, around wintertime. It's before the spring harvest. And he, he says, all right, okay, here's the deal. Look out. You're probably looking at these fields and you think, okay, four more months and then the harvest is going to be here. Right? Four more months, and then something's gonna happen. Four more months. If, 
And then I'll, I'll get through school. Four more months and then I'll, I'll get a better job. Four more months and then I'll, I'll get a job. Four more months. And then I'll be in the place where I can really start doing something significant. Four more months to the place that I can finally get my life organized. Whatever that means. And then I can really start pushing it into something meaningful, something purposeful. And what are you saying? It's four more months. It is The time is right now. The place is right now. There's a harvest is right now. The opportunity is there for you to be able to, to talk to people, to share the good news that you are the whole reason why you're following me. The time is right now to be able to, to speak life into these people's hearts. For us, the time is now for us to be able to share what God is doing and has done in our lives, to be able to introduce Christ in a way that is authentic and real. The time is now for us to be able to join God in His expansive love for the world, to treat people as Jesus treated this woman. Those around us that sometimes we can't stand, and perhaps other people can't stand, but we can treat with a dignity that affirms who they are as a person. It doesn't overlook the thing that is obvious that everybody knows, but speaks right into it with grace and with mercy. The time is right now. The place is right here for us to be able to be a part of what God wants to do in restoring this world. There are, for those who are between 20 and 34, it's the biggest segment of Seattle. It's almost 30%. It's the biggest single segment of the population in Seattle. It's over 170,000 people. There are people just like you and just like me that we need to reach out to, to love, to speak the things that we know to be true, to share God's expansive love. They are all around us. They are right here. There's a guy that, when I first came, got love and one of the great things that was privileges I was able to have is to be able to, to pray with him as he began to explore who Jesus was and, and and see if it makes sense and he had lots of questions but he was a part of uh, young adult ministries and and uh, it wasn't called convergence back then but young adult ministries for a time and then we had the opportunity to pray with him and as he accepted God's love for him as God had said yes to him and he finally decided yeah I want to say yes to him and we we're one of the things that was so great about him is he was always constantly bringing people. And I said, man, I, I love it. You're, you're bringing your neighbors and friends and cousins and constantly bringing people. And he's like, well, of course. Why, why in the world wouldn't I? Man, I'm experiencing something that is way better than what I had before. Something that is bringing some new life to me. And there's no way I would have even known about it if somebody hadn't invited me. If somebody hadn't begun sharing with me. God wants us to be able to look to the people that are all around us, that are in our lives, and simply ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? What do you have in store for us? Who do you want me to both love in word and in deed? We, of course, also wants us to use the gifts that we have to be part of bringing God's kingdom on earth. When we pray the prayer out of uh, the great prayer that, that comes at the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the combination both of transformed lives and of a transformed world. 
You begin to see it and you begin to see this is a sense of what it means for heaven to come on earth. Two villages down in Haiti. Fascinating to drive through. Drove through them a, a, a couple times. One of them is this place called Foisan. And, and you, you drive into it and you're driving through the country and suddenly there's a, there's a pretty dramatic difference. I mean, it's not like suddenly people are living in mansions or even living in houses with electricity, but there's something different about the homes. There, there's a sense in this community of order. There's a sense of beauty. There's a sense of, man, they, they have fences where there was they had a cactus because that's all they can do. There's a sense you go in, you realize in this little tiny village in the middle of nowhere is a 600, is this uh, school for 600 kids with teachers and principals that are, take unbelievable joy and pride in what they are doing and are so excited to show us their school even though we have no idea what they're saying. I was amazed. It was like, okay, this is a little bit awkward. We can't totally understand what they're saying. So maybe they'll just like show us one class and then we're done. No, they showed us pretty much every class. It was amazing. They were so excited for what they were doing. We had an opportunity to come. Brock mentioned it briefly. We had this opportunity to, to come up there and, and they have a well, but it's, it's way down the hill. And right now, the only way to give water, basic water is to, is to carry it in buckets up the hill. But if they can get power and they have a generator, at the school and the church that's there. If they can run power down there, they have a pump, they could get up water, so water up the hill into a huge cistern that they can have water anytime. And they were so excited for us to be able to come. There's a sense of joy in that place. And they, we were able to get in the, in the trench side by side with people. At the end of the day, they didn't know we were coming. And, and because they were so thankful, they went and basically Bruce told us they probably picked this tree clean a, a grapefruit. And they don't have hardly anything there. And yet they gave us all the grapefruit that they possibly could. They were so excited. You'll, you'll love this. They, we went back one more day. It was basically only Thad and Brock because they were going to finish up the job. This time they knew we were coming. So they wanted to make sure that they were, they were especially thankful. So they basically set up a romantic lunch for these two guys. <laughs> Threw up the tablecloth put this huge spread, had their own separate private room, you know. Candle, A little bit of candlelight. Yeah, these guys were holding hands. They came back, buddies. The only thing that was missing was, a, you know, a little guitar music in the background. But it's this sense, this sense of joy and gratitude that comes out of this, this town. Now, we drove through another town. We'll call it Market Town. They have a huge market that's there. And one of the things that's fascinating is you feel something very different as you're going through it. There, there is a coldness, even in the tropics, in this place. There is a sense of uh, anger, almost, in, that, in the place. Now, they have a huge market. The only way they get rid of their garbage is to burn stuff. But there's this weird sense as you drive through the streets of there's burning garbage everywhere. And there's a sense that this, it's like a war zone in this place. They have, uh, a well was brought into that community. Bruce brought in a well and, uh, but the thing is that they, they won't keep the well up. They, they have no source of water except to walk for miles and miles, but they won't keep up the spring and the, or excuse me, the, the, the water spigot that's right in town for them. We were driving on up and there was a, a specialist in water from Europe and he, Bruce was describing what was going on in this town. He goes, it's not a technical issue. 
It's not a technical issue at all to bring water. I can do that. In fact, there's a, another whole other spring I could tap into here. But I can't do anything because they cannot get along. Last time I brought in water, some guy took it over, charged everybody for the water, and then took all the money for himself. So now there's no money to, to fix what they have. This is a town in which mobs have come out of, who have attacked people in the countryside when, when revolution has gotten stirred up. There is a sense that this is not just a, this is not just an issue of, of bringing in infrastructure. It's an issue of a, of a town and a city that needs to be brought together. God's transforming work looks and feels like the contrast between what's going on in these two towns. One has a sense where people, people's lives are being, uh, it is the spiritual and the physical coming together. Or in the town, or in the case of this other town, it is the spiritual and the physical being totally set apart. Everybody's out for themselves. There's transformation that needs to happen physically and spiritually. And God is calling us into that. The disciples are, are looking at Jesus and, and you can imagine they're going, okay, go, eat the bread. Why aren't you eating the bread? Come on, why isn't he eating the bread? Who brought him the bread? Let's get on. We, Jesus, let's get out of here. You're calling us. Let's go do something. We'll do a little gospel stuff up north. It'll be great. Jesus essentially is saying, you guys, turn around. And if they were to turn around and open their eyes, they would see a whole bunch of people, a whole town of people who are walking out wanting to know what in the heck is going on. Tell us about this good news that you guys are about. They're looking at the bread. Jesus said, turn around. There's a whole town of people right behind you. And for us, there are people that are all around us. But so often we get stuck in trying to, trying to think, we got to go somewhere else. we got to go and, and we got to... There's some other time that we have to wait for. Turn around. Well, the second thing is this is that this work that God is calling us into is not only for this moment, for this place, but it is also much bigger than us. Essentially what Jesus is saying is that I have really important work that I want you to be a part of, but it is not about you. I have really significant work I want to call you into, but it is not about you. It is about what the Father is doing, for I am driven. And we know what this is like. Man, you can have a great meal, Grounds for coffee, cinnamon rolls? Okay, my personal addiction. I don't have a lot of addictions. There are these unbelievable cinnamon rolls in, in Vancouver. They will put you into a sugar coma in about five minutes. They're huge, and they're, they're awesome. They're awesome, but they're going to fill you only for a time. But we all know what it's like. Yeah, you could get some basics, but what is it like when you get driven by something that is bigger than you? When we get ahead of something that we feel like is really important, is really valuable, we don't even, there are times when I'm sure you know what it's like to just roll right through meals. Doesn't matter. I'm not hungry because there's something bigger that God has in store for me. It's not to say that we don't need basics, but we know what it's like. Once we have the basics taken care of, we can, we roll into, we can roll right through them because God is calling us into something bigger. What Jesus is saying is that there is work that is about what my Father is doing in this world. I'm here joining him in what he has already been doing. The second thing he's saying is it's bigger than you, not because it's just God is is working all around you and you get to join him in it, but also, man, this is not about simply you doing the whole thing. It's not all about you. It is about you doing a part of a bigger deal. One sows, another reaps. Man, 
Right now, you have the opportunity with the people walking up behind you to take advantage, to, to reap what other people have done, put in hard work on. The implications for us are this, is it should give us a tremendous amount of freedom. I think sometimes we get stuck because we feel like, man, especially when we start hearing about some of the world's problems, that we have to do everything. That it all has to begin with us. Perhaps that's why the disciples miss the moment because they're thinking, man, we haven't done anything here, so what, there's not, there must be nothing going on. But there are people who have gone before us. There are people who will go after us. And so the question really for us is this, what is God doing in this moment? When it comes to sharing faith, there's a professor of mine up at Regent named Daryl Johnson who, who, who framed it about as brilliantly as I think you could do for me as I began to understand what, what is it that I'm supposed to do when it comes to sharing my faith, telling people about, about the love that Jesus has for this world and for, and for them and for me. It's really it's just continuing the conversation. He would share, when I, get on, when I get on a bus, I don't necessarily have to go out with a huge strategy. What I need to do is I need to be paying attention and then ready to join God. God is having a conversation with people all around you all the time. It's not up to you. You're not the only one, but you get the privilege of jumping in. You get the privilege of perhaps loving somebody and giving somebody a sense of dignity in a way that, that perhaps is unique to their experience. You don't have to do everything. You simply have to jump in for that moment. So it frees us up. Frees us up. Perhaps there's nothing that I should say in this particular moment. Perhaps it, all I need to say is just what is to, what we need to do first of all is listen before we just launch in on somebody on what they we think that they need. So he rides on the bus, and sometimes he has conversations, sometimes he doesn't. But really, what he's asking is perhaps there's there's just some question that they have, and that's all I get to say. Well, that's okay because I'm just part of the conversation. I'm not trying to like take them from one place to another. I'm joining with God who that is, and that's taking them seriously as people. We get to jump in on the conversation, and we also get the freedom to simply do our part. Uh, Oscar Romero was a, um, a priest who worked in El Salvador and stood by uh, his people uh, underneath a brutal um, regime. And he writes this that helps us to get at this bigger perspective of what God is calling us into. He says this, it helps now and then to step back and to take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent, magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom, or in other words, what God wants to do in this world, both physically and spiritually, saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. This is what we are to be about. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds that are planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that provides far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do anything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. It enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning. It is a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter in and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are the worker, not the masters. We are the ministers, not the messiahs. We are the prophets of a future that is not our own. 
when we get that we are called into a something that goes beyond simply a job that we have, that goes and meets us right where we're at, we have this opportunity to do the thing that is before us excellently. To give it up to God's great enterprise on what He wants to do and to simply let Him deal with the consequences. We give everything. doesn't mean we don't work hard. We give everything that we have, but we also realize that this is not about what I can control and it is not simply about me. It is something that I get to join in. So you guys, let's pray. Let's pray that we would have eyes to see what God is doing here in our place in Seattle. The fields are ripe and ready. Which is another way of saying that God has something to do, that God wants to call you into something significant and meaningful right now in this place. Doesn't mean that you stay in a situation that might not be perfect, but it does mean that we don't wait for some other time, some better time, some better group of people, some nicer group of people, some other group of people that get it. But right now he is saying, I have people that that I, I want you to speak into their life. I want you to, to extend my love to them right now. Open our eyes. He's also calling us into something that is bigger than simply a job, bigger than simply putting food on the table. There are so many statistics out there that point that we are designed for more than simply making money. We cover the basics, and then basically money doesn't do a lot for us. All we start doing is comparing ourselves to others. As long as we're making more money than other people, we're fine. we feel good about it. But God wants something much more for us. Let us pray that God would help get us beyond the thing that is right in front of us. The ways in which we want to avoid being in this moment, in this place. That we would be able to have our eyes open to what is going on in this city and in this country and indeed around the world in places like Haiti. That He wants us to extend His kingdom. That He wants us to do something significant with the skills that we have. That He wants us to use our business, our teaching skills, our technical skills, our engineering skills to be a part of something bigger than simply collecting a paycheck. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes that we would be able to see far beyond ourselves. Lord, open our eyes to those ways in which we're simply trying to to put off engaging where we're at, in which we're holding on to something so tightly because we think that you can't work where we are, that you can't possibly speak into the place in which we live and work. You can't possibly speak into our life situation. It's just too far beyond. When I get my, when I get my stuff together, then you'll, then maybe I could look into this religion, God thing, whatever it is. Well, help us to know that that what you have in store is for us right here and right now. Lord, if there are those of us who, who are wondering if, 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 if you could possibly be for us, Lord, I pray that we would hear this word as a word that is speaking clearly to us, Lord, that, that you desire to give your very best to us right here, right now, if we would simply accept it.
that you would extend your love, Lord, not because we are perfect or have our stuff together or act religious, or, but simply because we open our hands up to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes to the rich opportunities that are all around us, that you would open our eyes to the people and the things that you want us to be a part of. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to your grand love. Lord Jesus, we do pray for those who do not have enough work to provide the basics. We think of all those who are unemployed right now. Lord, we pray for for basics to be covered. Lord, we pray for jobs in this country, in this city, around the world. Lord, we pray for Haiti. That through the work of the Robinsons and and many others, Lord, both Christians and non-Christians who are down there, who are seeking to, to, to bring the best out of Haiti, Lord, we pray for more jobs. We pray for basics to be provided for. Lord, we know, thank you that you do care about that stuff. Lord, we pray this all in your name. Amen. With all this talk of, of water, all this talk of, of bread, it's totally appropriate that we come to, the, to this table. This is a table which reminds us that we really are rooted in, in basics. That the faith is not one that is a complicated set of rules. It is really about simply relationship. And God uses these, these basic elements, everyday elements, bread and, and the cup, to remind us that he is totally for us and that we are fueled not by ourselves, not by our best efforts, but just by responding to the, to the love that he wants to pour into us. Jesus gathers his disciples, guys that he's been walking with for a long time. He's about to leave them. He's about to be crucified. And and he says, look, I want to remind you of a couple things, of my presence that I am leaving with you. So he takes bread and he breaks it after the the meal. And he says, this is my body, which is going to be broken. And it it is going to be given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also takes the cup and he says, this wine, this cup, is a new covenant, which is to say it is a new commitment that I am making to you. This is a new commitment of my love and my forgiveness and my power that I am going to give to you. Do this in remembrance of me. We come into a mystery when we come to the table. We come into this place where we remember what, what Christ did, that he demonstrated a, a real love for us. A, a love that meant something, a love that wasn't just nice sentiment, but love that was sacrificial. We remember, but we also look forward to the day in which Christ will return and he will make all things new. He will right all the wrongs. We long for that day. We look forward to that day. But we also claim that he is with us here now, that he is empowering us, that he is calling us. That he is speaking his love and his life into our lives in this place right now. We enter into a mystery. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your these basic elements in which we come before you and receive. In which we are empowered for both mission and ministry. That is to say we are empowered to be about something bigger than ourselves and to to love the community around us. Lord, we are also claim 
as we come to this table, Lord, that we are yours. That we are your children. That you have poured out your love upon us. Lord, we give you thanks for these things. In your name, amen. There'll be a station in the front and in the back. And come uh, as you uh, feel led. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.